Hello, my friends. You are listening to Grit and Grace. My name is Taverly, and I am your host. I'm here to share my entrepreneurial journey with you, and we'll be bringing on some amazing women who've been helping me, mentoring me, and inspiring me on how Grit and Grace helps them crush it in business, relationships, fitness, family, friends, and all that good stuff. Now, let's get started. Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If you are, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. And if you're not, you are totally missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is the place to be. It is designed with you in mind and has a ton of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections that are made just for you. And the best part is it's free. You can go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and download the Himalaya app and find all of your favorite podcasts in one place. And you know what else I love about Himalaya is they let you as the listener show your support to the podcasters. So make sure that you like this episode or go download the app, like and comment on this episode and follow us because we're soon going to be able to bring you some amazing new features only available on the Himalaya app. So thanks again for listening. You are listening to Grit and Grace. And before we get started with today's show, I want you to go and check out our new Grit, Grace, and Glory monthly subscription box at gx3box.com, where we are featuring amazing products and business tools made for women, all by women. And it's shipped to your door once a month. And each box will include five to seven items, one which will be in support of a nonprofit organization, which is my favorite part. And also there's going to be books and self-care products. And all of it is crafted by amazing female-owned businesses, products, and services. So go check it out at gx3box.com. So now let's get to it. You guys are in for a real treat as we're going to be talking about human behavior and leadership with Alicia Huck, owner of Maverick & Company where she helps leaders of fast-growing companies fix growth problems. With her expertise in human behavior and process science, she brings a proactive approach to managing organizational problems. She's completed more than 30,000 cold calls before she turned the age of 30, which I think is a very big feat in itself. That's so many. It's so many. (laughs) (laughs) And she studied linguistic theory in college and has since then done additional studies in behavioral economics, complexity theory, 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 I'm going to say theory, (laughs) (laughs) complex adaptive systems. And she really just does that for fun. And we're going to talk about that because she says that she's a nerd. And I, you didn't believe me. I didn't believe her. We're going to talk about that. But she's done so many amazing things. And one of them is she has authored the paper that there is no such thing as got too big or grew too fast, solving the infrastructure problem that you don't know you have. Alicia, thank you for joining us. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. It's fun. I loved when we met the first time at Rise Collaborative where you presented and really just blew my mind with the direct (laughs) language that you shared because I felt like you were talking to the whole part of my career where I was in situations where I so wanted to hold people accountable or Mm -hmm. be transparent. And sometimes we don't. So you were like, you like shocked me, like really in a good way. I think sometimes we get stuck in kind of a polite role, right? And um, one of the things that people really like about me is that I, I'm i not really much for polite for the sake of politeness. Definitely kind, but there's just a lot of times in work and in business where we just are stuck 
trying to do the nice thing instead of saying the thing that would make the biggest difference, right? So mm-hmm. instead of going for it and saying, hey, this kind of stinks, we, we just were dancing around it. You put on that polite, awkward smile and you're like, hey, you, mm-hmm. it'd be so great if I could get that report that you promised me three weeks ago and you're shaking <laughs> with rage inside trying to be, you know, right. something that you're not. So you know, uh, one of the biggest things that clients love about me, I just get the truth to be told because I just don't have whatever that gene is that allows people to be politically correct in the sense that they'll play corporate politics or I just don't have it. I'm more of a paintballer. I have friends who are really good at that, but I'm more like I can't do that long chess game. I'm more like, give me the paintball gun, show me the flag and let's go get it. And just a lot faster to that, which isn't a good fit for everybody or every situation, but it's a real breath of fresh air if you've been wanting it. Right. And how many of us have worked in jobs for long periods of time where the truth just doesn't get said or or what happens is more, I will say, owners or managers are afraid of losing staff or, Mm -hmm. you know, having an unhappy culture. So instead of trying to keep people, you know, aligned with what they're supposed to be doing really at the end of the day and having follow up and accountability, what they do instead is just nice over, gloss over, allow the excuses to be the reason why work doesn't get produced. So that's just a little tidbit of what we're (laughs) going to talk about today. Um, But I want those that are listening to know that there's there's a whole bunch of different reasons why you're going to love Alicia as much as I do. And we're going to do, there's going to be two series, two shows for you. And we're going to cover in this first show, one perspective. And then the second show, we're going to cover a different perspective, but it all follows under this ability to use Alicia's expertise in how to speak, how to communicate, how to handle the behavior of others and how to just really be more productive. And this is applicable to, Hey, hey, actually it can be applicable to anybody. It doesn't matter if you you are currently an employee or you're an entrepreneur that has a successful business and you're managing a large team, or maybe you're a startup. And one day you know that you're planning to scale and everything you're going to learn in these two shows is going to help you put framework around what's to come. Mm -hmm. Maybe just a, a little, because once you're in it, things can be very different, of course. And and I will happily, Alicia, as we go along, share there are certain stages I'm at in the growth of my business where some <laughs> of this really applies. <laughs> so I will I will share that as, as it goes along. But uh, I'm really excited you're here. Oh, thanks. It's so fun to be here. And by the way, for people listening who I always get a little suspicious when somebody says, just for anybody, this is really great for anybody. Yeah. And I'm always sort of like... Well, I'm done. I'm drop. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. But I started my career working as an individual, right, as a salesperson and managing individuals trying to produce results. And then as I moved up, I started working with organizations. And so I have expertise in individual performance. And then eventually I shifted up to working with organizations. And this will sound weird, but mostly because there's only about 12 basic ways that you can suck as an individual. And once you figure out, and it does that sounds weird, but most people don't, it's just pattern recognition, right? So once you figure out what those 12 ways are, they're kind of boring. <laughs> then you have to move on to something yeah. that's harder and more interesting. So I, I know that it can sound like, oh, it can't apply to everybody, but there are, there are patterns, right? There are things that we do as individuals that also apply to groups. And so you really can break it down into those two components pretty pretty easily if you've seen it enough times. Right. Which yeah. is why you're the expert in this field, because you can, <laughs> you can see it that way. And I, I laughed at the thought of 30,000 cold calls before you were 30. I mean, that itself is a lesson that I think everybody should have in their career is cold oh. calling. 
You want to know something really funny, Alicia? Yes. My daughter just started today her first full-time job. She's on the summer break from college, and it's cold calling. And no. she's in a what sales she role. selling? Uh, it's for a marketing company. Nice. And so I'm, I I don't know how it'll go. I'm sure she'll do great because yeah. she's very personable. But it's a lesson I think everybody should have is the ability to really put yourself out there yeah. and be able to make that call. Because it, it gets you over so many confidence hurdles. I think it. I always describe it as like the it's like the fruit flies of the business world, right? So in science, they use fruit flies because they live and die really quickly. So if you're studying genetics, you can get through a lot of different iterations in a very short period of time. And I think cold calling and sort of sales organizations are a lot like that. You can see a whole lot of what works in a really short period of time, right? You and I are at a stage where if you go in and you're working with a sales organization, there's so many different variables that are going to impact that. And it's going to take so long to figure out, am I running good meetings? Am I running bad meetings? But man, if you've got a college age kid like that and they're out there banging their head against the wall, right? There's just, that's a limited set. So you can really tell what's working and what's not. And then she can look back and reflect on, right? It really shows you where your limits are, right? Mm. Whatever the, whatever the ugly voices in your head say, you're going to tap into that really fast because they're going to get really loud in a hurry. So true. And so you just brought the nerd out when you said fruit flies and studies and DNA. I mean, how do you even how do you even know that? How do you know anything about fruit? Because that. <laughs> well, I I love I love science, and I okay. think one of the best ways that you keep your brain learning is to study things outside your field. Mm. So your brain, we think of our brains as pretty set, but your brain is actually really pliable. So if you want to learn and you want to grow and you want to be more creative in whatever it is you do. I've, I've tried things like listening to music that I wouldn't let nor ordinarily listen to, right? If you if you never listen to classical, listen to classical, right? If you can get yourself to listen to, you know, like a station that you never, ever listen to, that's really good for your brain because it forms new neural pathways. For me, I love reading science because it's just more interesting. It's a story that I can actually follow along with. So, you, you know, it can be different. It can be taking a different route to work wearing your watch on a wrong hand, anything that interrupts the flow gets new juices flowing. So if you're trying to come up with new solutions to something, anything you can do, and I like to do that on a regular basis, mm -hmm. and just for overall brain health, learning is really, really, really good for your brain. And didn't, aren't there studies now that show dementia rates go down when you do things differently and always change up your routine so don't get up in the morning and brush your teeth first you know one morning get up and get dressed first or put on one sock and then go brush your two your teeth and then put on the second sock and then like do it totally out of order because it's going to mess with your cycle but it's actually going to it triggers a part of your brain that uh I, I can't recall the study, but I right. think that what it said is it actually triggers parts of your brain that lie dormant when you do the routine. Right. I love that that's your example, right? I'm going to go learn science. You're going to do the weirdest morning routine anyone ever, like put on one sock and then brush half your teeth, but just the top half, right. and then go put on the other exactly. sock and then brush your hair. Yeah. yeah, I think whatever you do, it just has to be sustainable, right? So like there's certain music stations that I just, I, I can't get on board with. So I'm going to I'm gonna read science because that's what works for me, right. but that's what's going to help me keep right. my brain a little more flexible. Well, you know, in 2018, I set a goal for myself to master something new every month. Ooh, that's sexy. Right? Something new and master, not learn, but master. So I started in January with understanding cryptocurrency. So Ooh. I spent all my spare time 
that whole month listening to shows, learning. I set up an account. I did some investing. I, you know, roped my kids into learning with me. And I, every month, just learned something new to the point where I felt like I had mastery of what that concept was. And that's why I did it. it was really just because I felt like, okay, I'm gonna, I know that it's going to be a really big work that's, year career wise. That's kind of bonkers. Yeah, it was. It. I mean, podcasting was one of them. I mean, I had to really <laughs> that worked out. <laughs> that worked out. I, I mean, I really had to. I had to learn a lot and. A lot of these learning curves are steep. Yeah. But if you if you focus, I'm goal oriented. Yeah. Right. So if I set myself a goal, I'm I'm going to accomplish it. So as soon as I, especially if I like write it down and I mm-hmm. focus on it, I'm going to find a way to learn it because it makes me feel like I've accomplished something that is was felt virtually impossible at the beginning, yeah. and it never is. I did that one year with um, my reading because I. F- because I'm a nerd, right? So there's too many different books to read and I would get overwhelmed because I got stacks and stacks that I think would be fun. So I just picked one topic. So that was the year that I dove into behavioral economics, which mm-hmm. is the science of how people make buying decisions. So, you know, when you go into your Target and every time you leave, you're like, how did I just spend $150 at Target? They know exactly how you're going to spend $150 at Target. There's a science to that. The music, how things are priced, all of those things. And so learning about it, I thought, was endlessly fascinating. And, you know, they're, they're smart. That's not, none of that is an accident. They know precisely the dollar amount they want you walking out with. That is absolutely fascinating, especially it? when it comes to, like, Costco. I mean, Costco yeah. is notorious. I, I mean, it's like the $300 club. It's not the Costco <laughs> club. It's the $300 club. It's, it doesn't matter if you think you're just going to go in for paper towels. You're going to leave yeah. with a month worth of everything. Well, and the funny thing is, if you learn some of those strategies, right? So a quick little one that I found, which yes. is really interesting. So you're looking at something, right? And you think, oh, I want to buy this, right? It's on sale or it's whatever. One small thing you can do to help your brain sort of calm down, because you know how you get that sort of spike. You're like, got to have it. And you grab it and you put it in your in your, in your your cart. Um, ask Ask yourself, what else could I spend that money on? Mm. So as soon as you open up the framework, there's a great book by Chip and Dan Heath. They write all kinds of great stuff. Mostly they're just stealing social and behavioral research and repackaging it. But God bless them. They're making a ton of money and doing some good in the world. Um, But if you open up the framework, right, and a lot of it, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, in the second podcast. But when executives make decisions, right, a lot of times it's are we doing this or not? And then they often end up making stupid decisions because they don't consider alternatives. So if you can get your brain to think about what else could I spend this money on, then you create a more relaxed framework and it helps you judge it in context. So you're not as likely to make a poor decision mm. Ah, mm. based on inflated value. Interesting. Yeah. I, I recently had a, me- a meeting with one of my business colleagues and this person was having a conversation with me on a particular way that a project had to be rolled out. I mean, like Mm -hmm. cut and dried, like this is how you make the plan. This is who you assign it to. This is how it gets done. And this is how you measure it. And I, my my mind was so um, confused (laughs) because I'm like, well, wait a minute. There's about a million different ways that you can do that. There's not one way. There's a million ways. And so which, by the way, would be if we, if we did a bumper sticker for you, that would probably be your bumper sticker. No, no, there's a million different ways. (laughs) And it's, it actually is true. And the way my, my mind would process even how to look at the whole bigger picture to start with is so much more wide open. And it's funny because in this conversation, I was not able to get through to her right. to see that there was another way. And that's OK. That's her way of doing business. But that that really just reminds me that not everybody's brain works like mine. And that right. like, big opportunity, like a thousand different ways, a thousand different journeys to get towards the same goal. Right. 
Well, and one thing, because we're talking about individual performance, right? That is one of the most common mistakes that human beings make is we think that other people think like we think. So true. And it is really hard to remember that they don't. So we think that they're going to make the same kinds of decisions that we assume we would make. Now, that's funny because mostly we're not even a good judge of what we're going to do. Mm. Right? Mm. Yeah, (laughs) We're pretty optimistic about our own behavior. So then it's cute that we think we can predict other people's behavior and that it's going to be like whatever we imagine ours was going to be. Right? We're irrational all the time. So it is really useful to stop thinking that we can predict other people's behavior and start actually observing it. And being curious about that, right? And like, so your friend, her posturing was pretty rigid, right? Mm-hmm. She seemed really locked in. So the the analogy that I always give people, a long time ago, I worked with a group, a sales organization out in Nebraska. And these were the single most analytical bunch of human beings I've ever talked to in my entire life. And they had a program that was pretty confronting. Like they had some really, you know, when you got into that program, there was a moment for most people when you would just get downright scared, very high risk, high reward kind of thing. And so their managers were having trouble keeping people on board because when people would hit that fear point, they weren't handling it well because they were too analytical, Mm. right? So I was brought in to do some training. (laughs) How do you teach these analytical people to deal with that moment? And the analogy that I gave them, and I think it's useful for a lot of people in a lot of situations, is scared puppy. So if you see somebody doing a behavior that to you looks extreme, right? Like you're a person getting kind of rigid about, no, it has to be this way. And you're like, well, no, it it could go other ways. And they're like, no, it can't. That looks to me like scared puppy. And if you saw a scared puppy, now that it can also be angry puppy, right? Or (laughs) stubborn puppy or peeing on your tire puppy. But um, if you see a scared puppy, right? And you just picture in your mind like a scared little puppy on a cold, rainy night with there's thunder and there's lightning and it's shivering in the corner. And if you stumbled upon a puppy, how would you approach the dog? Assuming, of course, that you're a decent person and you like dogs you probably wouldn't stand over the dog and say, there's no logical reason for you to be afraid. Mm. You wouldn't throw stats at them, right? You wouldn't throw logic at them. What you would do is you would probably get really low. You would, you would try to soothe first, right? You Mm -hmm. would coax them. Caesar Milan, which by the way, Caesar Milan dog training videos and parenting blogs are one of the best places you'll ever get human behavior advice from. <laughs> mm, that's so funny. So Caesar Milan says you can never interact with a dog when they're in the eight, nine or 10 range. You've got to get them down to the four, five, six range, four, five, six, seven, right? The same is true for yourself. You can't interact with yourself when you're at an eight, nine, 10. You got to calm yourself down, whether you're angry or sad or even too happy. Same is true with other people. So if you encounter a scared puppy or somebody who's being really rigid, what you what we want to do is logic them out of it. Like, hey, no, there's other options. You can do other options, right? I have a friend who he's marrying a woman who's great. Her daughter's a different religion. The daughter doesn't want to attend the wedding because it's a different religion. And he keeps throwing religious evidence at the daughter oh, to, to show her yeah. why she's wrong. And for some reason, that's not working, Mm. right? This is a scared kid who's just caught up in a big whirlwind and conflicted, and he's throwing religious evidence at her, right? She's a scared puppy. Mm -hmm. For some reason, throwing Bibles at scared puppies doesn't make them less afraid. So the, the game for him would be help the puppy calm down. Right. So I'm not saying this was, you know, what you did with your no, person was wrong, I, but like, yes, you're so you're so correct. Actually, it's it is it, it is fear. And in fact, in this particular instance, it is entirely about fear. 
So you might have said, but it didn't right? cross my mind at the of time. Of course not, because yeah. we yeah. we're thinking logically, right? Mm-hmm. And we look and we go, well, no, it's not A, it's B. But if you if you were to encounter that again, right? What might you have said to her? If you if you looked back or in the next moment you caught it and you said, I don't know, maybe this is a scared puppy. If you had had that thought, what might you have said? I probably would have changed my tone of voice. Okay. Um, if if we were in phys- if we were together in mm-hmm. physical proximity, I probably would have done something comforting and right. asked her questions. I would have just right. tried to listen more. And maybe you just check in. Yeah. Right. I have a friend who, oh, she's adorable. When she gets really stressed out, she starts to spew data at you. Mm-hmm. So it could be something really simple. And man, she'll just go on for five hours about some kind of scenario. It took me about fifteen years to figure out to go. Hey, um, Megan, are are you a little scared? Mm. Or are, are you sad? Like real soft like that. And then sometimes she'll just stop because all of the data, right? And the story that she's wrapping, like all of the details that are driving me out of my darn mind, that's all her just not wanting to get clear that she's sad or she's scared. So, you know, the, the quick tip is if you see people acting a little wacky, right? If you see somebody who looks like they're a dog backed into a corner, right? Barking with rage, shivering with fear. It's because in their mind they are. And those circumstances, just because you don't think they have to be scared, doesn't mean they don't think they have to be scared. Right. And if you can get them out of that red zone, right? The six, seven, like seven, eight, nine, ten zone down into something more reasonable, then you can engage with a more reasonable person. But until you get them out of that red zone, yeah, it's not going to be productive. You're not talking to a person. You're talking to a red zone and red zones don't make good decisions and you can't give them better plans because they can't even see it. Right. So, hey, are you, do you have some concerns about this? Like, it seems like this is like pretty tense. Like, do you have concerns that I'm not aware of? Like, is there something else, like a component? Like, there's lots of soft ways. You don't have to say, share your feelings with me. <laughs> right. Concerns is a great word. Uncomfortable is a great word. Just to get them to say some things that might not be on the table that you might need to know. And even just acknowledging that they're feeling some type of discomfort. Right. And I suppose I shouldn't like throw things at people or like pencils or like, (laughs) because, you know, when I hit the red zone, you know, you know me well enough to know when I hit the red zone, this is when people get tackled or, you know, stuff starting out. I mean, not not at work. I mean, I would. would, Well, sure. But like a great, you you never want two people who are in the red zone trying to do anything. And it's interesting. There's there's schools now that have started working with kids and trying to distinguish when and they have different language, I think. But when are the kids in the red zone? And helping the kids recognize it so that the kids actually can say, Principal Thomas, I need 10 minutes to get out of the red zone or something similar, right? We ask a lot of children and we don't give them a lot of good coping tools. And then we ask teachers to communicate with kids, like a whole room full of kids that are in the red zone mm-hmm. bouncing off each other like little ping pong balls. It's it's bananas that we try to attempt to make that work. And even for yourself, you know, my signal to myself that I'm about to go in the red zone is I start yelling at strangers in traffic, not mm-hmm. out my window, right? Just yeah. in my car where yeah. we think it doesn't matter, but it, of course it does. And even if it doesn't matter for them, it matters for me. I don't want to be, you know, yeah. it was cute. I had this moment a few weeks ago and I finally just, Alicia, you've been yelling at people in traffic for a really long time now <laughs> and they're not getting any better at it. <laughs> it's not changing. Right. And I finally just sat myself down and I was like, okay. Would you rather that people drive too slow or too fast? Because I'm always mad about one of the two, right? Okay. And I finally thought about it and I was like, if I got to pick, I'm going to pick too slow. So now I'm not really allowed to yell at people oh, for driving so funny. too slow, right? Too fast. I still got some like working. But, you know, 
But you're, what you're saying, yeah. though, is you know when you're in that zone. Yes. You can feel it. And I, I'm sure that how your day has proceeded in in business or personally also impacts how you feel when you get in the car. Because we all have those things that we have that outlet on what is triggered in us. You know, we, yeah. we have a reactionary uh, response, but it, people think that, oh, I, I'm, I'm good at work. You know, I, I handle my stress at work. I keep calm and, and it doesn't work that way. All that stuff just gets bottled up anyway and comes out some other direction. You're you wherever you go. If you yeah. use up all your mental and emotional reserves in one place, you don't have them in another. And the mistake I think we make in our culture is we don't act like we have a resource to manage. Right. If you remember the Olympics a couple of years ago, Michael Phelps was there's this great shot of him just totally in the zone, getting ready for his race. And there's some Yahoo kid from, I don't know, Bulgaria or God only knows where, like dancing and shimming and right in like, you know, inches in front of him. And he doesn't even see it. Right. And the kid thinks he's going to rattle Michael Phelps, mm-hmm. which was kind of charming. <laughs> um But Michael Phelps is managing his environment to put himself in a mental state where he can do his best work. But what most of us do is we get up, jump in the shower, run to work, check emails, run to the next thing, run to the next thing, work, 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 go home, eat, feed the dog, go to bed, repeat. We don't do that in sports, right? You see all professional athletes take time to manage their mental state, right? They prepare for the game. Look at how they walk to the game. They all have their headphones on. They're controlling their environment. We don't do that. We just run from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. I teach people sometimes, you know, take the five minutes before you go into work, before you get out of your car, pull into your parking space and then just stop and make a list of what has to get done today. What's probably not getting done today. Listen to one great song, right? I have a psyched mix that I play on the way to engagements if my energy is not high enough. So that by the time I get there, it's high enough. Or maybe it's at the end of your day before you get out of your car at home or before you actually turn the key on to drive back to your house. Where can you plug in a few minutes of intentionality? It doesn't have to be six hours worth of meditation and yoga and blah, blah. Like that's nice if you can get around to that and you like it. But even a few minutes of better intentionality can can change everything if you're willing to put those in. We just that's not how most of us are playing the game. And that's why most of us are not necessarily winning as often as we'd like. I love what you said so much. And this is, <laughs> this is why I connect to you so well. So two funny things. And we're going to come back to that. But two funny things. I have a pre-podcast playlist. Of course you do. <laughs> Does it have Bat- Pat Benatar on it? <laughs> no, actually it doesn't. But it has some Beyonce. There you go. Um, and I have a post-podcast playlist too, awesome. right? So I, I, I relate to that a lot because yeah. I think that we need to put ourselves, when you talk about um, optimal conditions yeah. for peak performance. Yes. And, that's, and you're using that sports analogy, but that's what it is, is you're putting yourself in a peak performance state. And we should be in a peak performance state in our life as much as possible, right? Every, in everything that we do. And, and there are ways to do that. That takes little amount of time, but it's a mindset to be well, conscious of the do fact that we- more often. Right. Right. And I don't think a peak performance state is, is- I don't know if it's possible all of the time Mm. because we're not machines Mm. and human beings have dips, right? So there's just times when you're just going to be tired, Mm. right? Like, I don't know if you can perform at a peak level all the time because that's not what peak levels are really supposed to be for. Now, can you perform at a, can you be happier more of the time? For sure. Can you have your low moments be a little more blissful and a little more easy? For sure. And I think sometimes we get caught in the idea that, you know, it has to be this perfectly designed day, which it doesn't. The other big, huge mistake that I personally am really out to fight against is 
there's every time you open up LinkedIn, cause I post a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. That's where I put the majority of my content. Um, it's always, these are the six things that all successful people do in their morning. Mm-hmm. And it's always for some reason, cause I hate this, like getting up at some insane hour, Taking That's, a cold shower that, half the time. That I mean, can't be possible. It can, right. 4.30 in the morning is not a time when reasonable human beings... <laughs> not that, every day. I, listen, some people maybe, that's a great thing. I know right. people who don't need eight hours of sleep. I'm not one of them. Right. And so I think the mistake that we make in our culture, um, we love gurus. We love experts. We love to put them on pedestals. We love to fantasize about being like them. And then we love to ignore most of what they say. We love to read it. We, like in my company, we have a joke about motivation that motivation is the um, the feeling of euphoria you get when you think about hitting your goals that goes away the minute you start doing the actual work. <laughs> like most of us are more in love with the idea of the idea of success than we are the work that it takes to get there. Like we'd rather read 53 different blogs on LinkedIn or posts about how to be successful than actually look at our own lives and change the two things that we know for sure would make a difference. And I, you got to actually look at what would make a difference for you, which is different for everybody. Exactly. And, you know, I was just on the phone. I'm doing um, a speech in a few, like toward the end of the summer for a group about what is your performance zone? Like, how do you get into that? Right. Where, how do you fine tune your life? And one of the attorneys that was on the call, she said, well, I think I need to do what so-and-so does. She always has a really beautifully clean desk. I think I really need to start cleaning my desk. And that's one of you always hear. It always comes up. And I said, okay, well, let's check it out. I said, when you think about cleaning your desk and having an immaculate, beautiful, awesome desk, I say, do you feel happier or do you feel a little heavy? She said, I feel a little heavy. I go, okay, great. Now let's check out the other side. When you think about never, ever, ever worrying ever again about cleaning your stupid desk and just deciding that it's fine the way it is, do you feel heavy or do you feel happy? And she said, I feel so happy, I can hardly sit still. Mm. I go, then that's what you should pick. Mm. Not everybody needs a clean desk to be effective, right? She's just trying to do what all the advice of all of her life, like somebody's been yelling at her since she was a first grader about a clean desk. Turns out she doesn't need one. So you got to really work on listening for what it is that actually works for you. And that happy or heavy is a pretty good barometer. So if it looks like you should do it and you think that you should do it, but when you think about doing it, you kind of want to throw up a little bit. That ain't your thing. (laughs) And that can go in so many ways because I'm thinking about (laughs) myself as an entrepreneur that there are so many things that make me feel that way, but I still have to do it for now for today. But they are the things on my list that I will, you know, of course, service out um, as time allows because that's I know that those are not my zones of genius. I know I'm aware. I'm very aware of that. But that heavy versus happy is a really good analogy. And there's discipline. Right. But there's also how you do things. Mm. Right. So it's not just I mean you know there's certain things that you just have to do but what is the way in which you do them and if you're going to do something that you don't love to do and you don't really want to do be happy about like if you I took a class once and they said any check that you ever write find a reason to be happy writing it there are a lot of people in this country and this may make some people angry so that'll be fun to see what happens but a lot of people man April is like a really miserable month I write a really big check every year, like really big, really big. And every year I'm thrilled to write that check because the context I choose for the check that I write is veterans, 
Mm. Veterans. Right. I like paying for veterans health care. Right. I like having paved roads. I like building stockpiles of weapons and paying for warships so that my country is safe. I like funding medical research against the next big outbreak because I kind of like not dying and not having people I like die. So I have chosen a context for that. And you can argue about waste and a million different things and you'd all be right. But we're all writing the check that we're writing anyway. And the difference is I'm happy writing my check. I view my check as an act of patriotism. And I cry tears of joy at what a blessing it is that I grew up in this country where one, I'm allowed to walk down the street wearing almost any doggone thing I please, that I got to go to school, that it didn't matter that my parents were poor. I got to go to school. I got a great education. I had loans when I needed them to get me through college. I was able to start my own business. I was protected. I didn't have to pay for private security. And I'm in a country where I'm allowed to invent new ideas and put them in the marketplace. And if they're good enough, I get to sell them. I'm cool with that. So you can feel however you want about government and taxes and the whole nine yards. But if you're writing the check, make sure you're happy on the day that you write it. Perspective, mindset, and the verbal language you use inside your head externally and internally. Even just saying that here, I can feel that you're happy. And so when you say that and you become that, I mean, it's almost like it's that that wisdom of you are what you say you are. You become what you say you're going to become. You know, you All of that just happens. And so when yeah. you feel happy about it, then it takes the stress out of it. No, it's not that there haven't been years as I've leveled up that I didn't have to really gut check myself yeah. and go, listen, if you've been preaching it, you got to believe it every time you add another zero to that check. Yeah. But fundamentally my philosophy has become you can always make more money and i want the gu- my, my tax guy is so cute because he's always scared when he calls me <laughs> he's like oh no he's like he's like well what, what was the number in your head alicia <laughs> what, what did you think it was gonna right, be right right and he's like well I, I think we did a little better than that right because i always tell him an outrageously mm-hmm. large number because i want to be the one good phone call he has during tax right. season but um you know it's all good i chose Right. Like I chose and I want yeah. he says, you got to have the government be your partner. I'm like, all right, let's do that. I want the government to be my partner. I want to pay my partner a big, huge chunk of cash because that means I made an even bigger chunk of cash. Right. And I'm going to do a bigger chunk every year. That's my game. OK, so I have to ask you a sure. couple of questions have come up to me. First of all, we've just covered such a wide variety <laughs> of topics. When we I, knew it would go I like know, this. My, right? my, my brain is like, OK, OK, let's think about this. I want to I want to go back to. A little bit about you and where sure. where do you think that you learned these lessons from? Sure. And not, not just in your studies and in your experience in business, because the perspective that you're bringing, we really have only just touched the tip of the iceberg of what mm-hmm. we're going to talk about. But where did this come from? Because it's it's unique. I feel like you you say and speak things that we know, sure. but it's really hard as human beings to hold on to that all the time. And, yeah. and, and we swerve. And so I think that having people understand how you gained this this wisdom and expertise and this ability to see things in the way that you do. It's like your glasses are, are a different color than a lot of people's the majority of the time. And you actually are wearing glasses and I don't mean they're different color. <laughs> they are, they might be, but your glasses match your sweater. So yeah. that's really impressive because um, you're impressive like that. I am. I'm pretty awesome. I'm kind of a big deal. You're kind of a big deal. Kind of a big so. deal. <laughs> um, so let's, let's talk about sure. where this experience and knowledge came from. Yeah. So, um, So I'd say a couple of things. So when my family, um, we are stoic Germans, like when my great grandparents came over on a boat 
they had a child named George who was two years old, who was a toddler, and he passed away at sea. They buried him at sea. They landed. They moved to North Dakota. Mm. Ooh, the excitement Mm. of immigration, right? And then they had another son. They named him George. They had a whole bunch of kids. Um, It wasn't years later until they had passed away that one of my grandfather's brothers found the paperwork and said, what do you mean there was another child? We had another brother. Mm. And one of his uncles said, that's none of your business. These are people who, I mean, my ancestors, they went from Germany over to southern Russia. The czar promised them land to settle. He wanted to keep that land. He promised them they would never be drafted. And then he drafted them into World War II. So we're a proud draft-dodging family. Mm-hmm. That's why they immigrated. But that was their life story, right? They were focused on keeping people alive. Life was hard. Mm-hmm. My mother's one of 19 kids. Wow. Right? So they it's not like people were getting hugged, right? We're, we're not having conversations in that family about self-fulfillment. What do you want to be when you, it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? You want to be alive when you grow up, right? right. So, you know, it, that's a hard life and those lessons get passed down. So you have to think about what got passed down and examine what you want to keep and what belongs in your life today. Because unconsciously, All of that is in my DNA. It's literally the soup that I grew up swimming in, and it's it's how my brain started. Luckily, when I was in college, I got recruited by the Southwestern program. If anybody ever knew any of those nutball kids that went to sell books door to door Mm. when you were in college and you were like, you're doing what? I was one of those kids. I was like, hang on. That sounds like a great idea. That's how you know you're a little off base, right? I was like, wait, I like wait, hard things. I, 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 like, I like hard things. I like knocking on strangers' doors and convincing them to see my 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 way of oh my thinking. Gosh. Literally, I, even the knocking on doors part, I was just literally like, wait, I like hard things. I'm good at hard stuff. You can make money. I don't have to go home for the summer. That sounds like a great plan. I literally, a friend of mine called. She was in tears. Oh she was my. like crying and sobbing like, I got a great summer job. I don't know if I can do this. And I talked her into it because I thought it sounded cool and I wanted to go. So... But that that sales program was the first place anybody ever really talked to me about the idea that you should think about how you think. Mm. Nobody had ever, that was new, right? So maybe a little bit in sports, but even there, not really. So then we got all this flood of like positive stuff, right? So, you know, they had us reading Ogmandino, which is the greatest salesman in the world is these 12 scrolls. And they there's one, the number three, it's called, I will persist until I succeed. In the Orient, young bulls are trained for the fight arena in a certain manner. Each is led to the ring and allowed to attack a picador who pricks them with the lance. The bravery of each bull is then rated with care according to the number of times it demonstrates its willingness to charge in spite of the sting of the blade. Mm. Henceforth will I recognize that I am like that. Bu- and then and then I trail off, right? But you know, 25 years later, I can still recite almost the entire first paragraph because... I ingrained that, right? I will persist until I succeed is a different philosophy that I gave myself by rereading that one little chapter a million times in my first summer. Reread it every day. And so because I was taught you can think about how you think, then I started looking at, well, where do I train my brain? I reread that chapter so that I could retrain my brain. Most of us, we just got the brain that we got. You ever notice yours isn't always that awesome? Mm. Sometimes picks the wrong moment to freak out. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe on occasion. I mean, I literally like I have this funny thing that I do that if I 
I just, for some reason, sometimes I'll be getting dressed in the morning and it just matters to me that I feel confident about what I'm wearing. And some mornings that's a quick process and some mornings it is not. And then there's 15, 20, 30 different outfits. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I'm laughing. I've learned to laugh at myself because otherwise it just gets worse and I'll end up in tears. And all the clothes are laid out across oh the my bed. God. And then you still have to, you have oh, to put it hu- all away. No, I just a, leave it. It's you in leave a huge the pile. pile. Okay. I, just, I just can't leave it on the bed because the dog sleeps there. Oh. So, we, you know, we've learned that lesson. But, you know, do you think about how you think, right? So then I started... I would just pay attention. And so it's the books that you read. Even two years ago, there's a book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. I love it. It's one of my favorite books. Mm -hmm. I read the chapter on process twice a day, five days a week for seven straight months. Wow. Which gets you to focus on the process, not the prize, Mm. which has you focus on your work, not the outcome. Because I was dealing with a really frustrating period where I'd been really trying to rework my own marketing I wasn't getting where I wanted to go. I was, I mean, just ready to tear my own hair out, frustrated. And so my theme for that year was do the work. Every year I pick a new theme. It was just do the work. That's all I wanted to think about. That's all I wanted to do. That was everywhere. Do the work, do the work, just do the work, just do the work. If you just do the work, everything will be fine. So I read that chapter until it just became ingrained. And now my whole body relaxes. I'm like, well, we just do the work and then it works out. So if there's an area of life that doesn't work, you might think about, what do you want your thinking to be? You could actually retrain it to be that. So I understand what you're saying. And I, I'm thinking about this from, from the perspective of so many people that I know mm-hmm. that don't even understand that that's a possibility, that, yeah. they, that they have the ability to retrain how they think, which will impact every single aspect mm-hmm. of how they process information that comes in yeah. and how you and how you live day to day because I mean you're talking about resiliency a big piece of that is about resiliency and I learned resiliency in a totally different way but I Mm -hmm. think that resiliency is one of the most underrated um, values to Mm -hmm. have and not a character trait because it can be learned resiliency can be learned for sure and you're you're talking about it in in a variety of ways and I think that we should address how is it possible for an average person that doesn't really understand that they can retrain their thinking give them some examples of how they could start just changing their perspective. Sure. Well, I'll prove it to you. Yeah. Okay. So there's a thing in your brain called the reticular activating system. Nerd alert. I was just, <laughs> I, I was just going to say nerd alert. I could, see, your face, you could right? see I was going to go, yes, the nerd is back. Such a geek. Um, so <laughs> the, your reticular activating system. So right now there's a, there's so much information trying to get into your brain, right? Your body is aware of so much more than ever makes it to the conscious surface, right? So if you're listening to this podcast, feel your rear end in the seat that you're in. Hmm or your shoes on the ground if you're standing. 12 seconds before I said that, you weren't aware of that probably. But now you are. Why? Because I just primed your brain to let it in. Before that, there's just too much. So it's got to pick, right? It's got to prioritize. That's what your reticular activating system does. It tells your brain what to let in and what not to. So mostly it's the what not to let in. What not to let in, what not to let in, what not to let in. It's a gatekeeper, right? Have you ever bought a car? And then as soon as you bought that car... You started seeing that car everywhere you go. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Does everybody drive this car? I didn't realize everybody bought everybody drove this car. That's your reticular activating system, because when you bought that car, it said, "Ooh, this car matters now. So now it sees it everywhere. That's how it works. So if, for example, you believe that everybody drives too fast. Guess what you'll see? Mm. That everybody drives too fast. 
um, you know, my first. It's what you're focusing on. It's what you've picked. And now your reticular activating system is out there looking for that evidence. So, for example, my first summer, I'm a cute little 19-year-old geek from South Dakota. I'm in Lexington, North Carolina, selling books door-to-door, all wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And not everybody in that town was—actually, I was in Moxville, Moxville, North Carolina. Oh, my. Not everybody in Moxville was super excited that I was there to sell them books, Mm. as you can imagine, right? Mm. So I had a choice to make, right? I could look at that town and decide that everybody hated me, and there was plenty of evidence that they were not psyched. Or I could lie to myself and say, they all love me. And my brain knew that that was a lie. So I tacked something on because that's what I picked, right? (laughs) Because my life as a door-to-door salesman there is going to be a lot easier if I can get myself to believe that they all love me, right? Does that make sense? Yes, totally. And the truth is your brain is going to look for whatever evidence you tell it to. Well, so it goes back to what I said. You are going to become what you say that you are. Yes. Right. And and I'm I'm just going to go on a little side tangent. Sure. I have to tell you this really interesting story. I spent some time recently with a friend who is always really negative talking about themselves. And I I'm starting I've been starting to pay attention to this a lot more, just even on the words that I use, not just inside my brain, but outside of my brain, what I say to other people, because it's that's just as that's just as powerful. And sometimes we say things outwardly for different reasons. But if we really believe what we're saying and we say it inside and out, you're going to have a major yes. impact. You're going to become that. Yes. Even if you're not that. And so this friend of mine that has this real negative self-talk, we started the conversation and I just stopped and I said, listen, do you like, do you really believe that about yourself? Yeah. And, and this person kind of shied away and I realized they were saying it because they wanted to appear humble and not, mm. and not have a big ego, but they didn't really believe that. And so we went into a conversation around it and it, I now am noticing all the time yes. that if I, if I constantly keep in my brain that you are going to become what you say you are, boy, my conversations around me just get a little bit different because I don't want any of you to become the things that you say that you are if they're negative. Yes. And that, by the way, can sound like woo woo crap. But if you actually get that you have a reticular Mm. activating system and that's what it's you're programming it. Mm. Right. So the I do this. I used to do this exercise with people when I did a lot of public speaking. I would say, okay, bring somebody up to the front of the room and you can do this where wherever you are right now. Right. So imagine that I said to you, give me five reasons why you're having a terrible day. You just pause. Think about it. Give me five reasons why today is not a great day. Right? Oh, this happened this morning. My lunch order went wrong. Right? Okay, great. So you got those. Now give me five reasons why today is an awesome day. Oh, there were things that happened that I liked, right? I got this call from an old friend and I'm going to this concert tonight. Right? See, you can pick five reasons for any day of your life. You can pick five reasons it's great, five reasons it sucks. Any day of your life. The question is, which five reasons are you going to pay more attention to? And your reticular activating system is going to pay attention to whichever ones you program it to believe exist. So that summer in North Carolina, some people were nice. Some people were not nice. Some people were fine that I was there. Some people actually really did love me. Some people didn't love me. But I decided that I wanted my brain to go looking for evidence that people loved me because it was going to find whatever evidence I told it to look for. Just like when you buy a car, it goes looking for that car. I picked my car. The car I picked was everybody loves me. Everybody loves me. Everybody here loves me. Some of them just don't know it yet. Hmm. (laughs) Right. And then so when people were negative to me, it just fell into a category of doesn't make sense. Discard. 
I just got rid of it. And when people were nice to me, I was like, see, everybody loves me. Mm. And by the end of the summer, it was true. In a weird way. And literally now, I relate to the world like everybody loves me. Even the people that don't like me, they love me. Because that's what I told myself all summer long. Literally, that's I, I was looking for that word, that phrase. And when I forgot to think about it, it came right out, right? Even the people that don't like me, they still love me. Like, it's a paradox, but my brain doesn't care. It's just what it thinks is true. So it only looks for evidence that people love me. Mm. So it takes something, right? And, and not all problems are fixable that way, right? Like some, some of you are dealing with really significant stuff. So I'm not trying to gloss over that with easy things. But listen, some of the stuff you're dealing with is not a big, significant, hard thing. And you need to stop being so lame about it. Like I recently, I started switching out um, a lot of ugly words with the word unpleasant. So, like, you know, you you stumble upon some really disgusting mess that your neighbor's dog left for you in an inappropriate place. And I'm like, I literally will say this to myself. I, it's funny. I laugh. I feel like June Cleaver in my head. I'm like, oh my well, that's unpleasant. But I got to tell you, everything in life is easier when I'm relating to most things that suck as unpleasant. Oh, that's so good. It's just so lighthearted. It's yeah. like it's it's like I can just dance. I'm like a little butterfly around stuff. I'm like, oh. Oh, well, that's unplayed. And then I'm laughing at myself because I know that I picked it, but it still works. And I'm kind of a cheat to win person. And you know what, though? You are you are making you are making the ability to have all the anything negative that happens in your life more lighthearted and and really putting it into perspective, especially the stuff that is lighthearted. And, you know, so you can look at what you read. The other thing I would look at is look at who your friends are. Yeah, you know, let's talk. Let's talk about that because there's a lot now about you are you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. But the truth is, is it's is it's true. It's you, always been that way. Yeah, and I think you should have people that are a good influence on you, and you should have people that you are a good influ- good influence on. But you also want to look at the nature and quality of the conversations that you're engaging in. So I have a good friend, and she's about 15 years older than me, and she sends me a note one day, like, you know, is it okay for someone quote my age to wear this? And then I lost my mind. Like I got real big and real ugly with her. And I called her up and I go, we're not doing this. You can do it if you want to. You can't do it with me. I'm not having conversations about how, oh, it's all just upkeep and maintenance from here. And age is blah, blah, blah. And oh, as now we're getting older. No, no, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. I know the research that you can take a bunch of, they did this very funny study. They took a bunch of old guys and they put half of them in a control group that just did a regular weekend. Then they took the other half and put them in like a camp where basically they played the music of their youth and they let them romp around and they had like reminders, right? Like kind of cereal boxes and posters and movies from the time when they were younger. And by the end of the weekend, the guys in the control group were acting like old guys and the guys that were in the, in the young camp were playing flag football and, like on the field and tackle football, some of them, right? I'm not interested in the, oh, aches and pains con. No, no, thank you. And I'm definitely not interested in the, we're not allowed to wear what? Excuse me? Yeah. I'm a grown woman. I'll wear whatever I please. Thanks so much. So what is the, you know, you, my friends, you, you don't get to be just negative around me. Now, if you have a bad day, there's literally nobody on the planet that is better to have in your circle than me. There's nobody. But if you just want to whine about how tough life is or how much things suck or political party A or B is terrible and awful, I'm not. God bless you. Good luck. Have fun. Not interested. I'm, I'm 
I'm up to something and I'm interested in people who are up to whatever they're up to. Now, if you want to go on and on for about four or five hours about carburetors or something that you're passionate about, I will hang for that because I find that interesting. And it doesn't, you don't have to have my rules for your friendship circles, but what are yours for you? And what are you bringing to the quality of the conversations that you're in? I did um, a lunch, an afternoon with a friend of mine and, and somebody that I'm seeing and, and another couple. And, and out in the middle of nowhere, my guy goes, okay, you guys game for a real conversation. And the whole table go, yeah, they did just the face you just made and like sit up kind of straighter. And they're like, what, what do you mean? Cause nobody knows him real well yet. They're like what, you know, like none of us know what to expect, yeah. right? Are we going to go drag racing? Right. Like what's about to happen? And he goes, how about each one of us gets to ask one question of one other person at the table and you have to answer. And we just go around and we all looked at each other. We're like, and we're just dying to find out what kind of questions he's going to ask. Wow. So his first question was, he looks at my friend Cynthia, he goes, what's your deepest, darkest, worst fear? And, yeah. And that same face, right? And here's I mean, me. I bought my head just I know. a little bit. I'm like, whoa. Here's me. I'm like, and this is like a dinner event. We're in an afternoon. We're watching the Nuggets play. Like, it's just a Sunday afternoon. And I go, uh, you know, and I'm kind of thinking, should I protect my friend? But, right, you know, sh- she's yeah. a grown woman, she's right? She's a grown woman. And, and she dives right in. Like, she's up for it, right? And I lean back and I'm thinking, these are my people. These are your people. My yeah. people want to have that conversation. Mm. And then I kind of looked at him and I'm like, I think I might keep you around a yeah. while because he's my people. Yeah. Right. So whatever your people wants to be or is, but you know, who are your people? So you're thinking the books that you're reading, right. Even the shows that you're watching, just what there's a, there's an old saying by some 18th century monk whose name I've forgotten or 14th century. He says, be very careful what you put inside your mind for you will never again get it back out. Right. Um, I'm going to give you an example. I have a question for you. I have a friend of a friend that is, you know, doing fairly well in her career and she's married, has kids that are late teens. And, you know, she asked me the question recently, like, how do you keep such a positive energy in what you do? Like I hear it in your podcast and I see it in what you do. And then I see you in, in person and you just keep this about you. And she's like, I just, I just feel bored. Like, I just feel like I'm in a rut. <laughs> yeah. And I know a lot of people that start to feel that way, that they don't know where to find their next place of joy. They don't yeah. know where it is. And, and you know, of course, I want to have them look at their picture of the joy being where they are. But I understand what they're saying is like, what's next? What can fill me up with the same excitement I've had in the past? I've lost that ability to get really passionate about something. How do you think people should reset that or recalibrate their brain so they can find the things that will light them up like that. Yeah. I, I don't know if you'll like this answer and I doubt your friend would, but, um, wow. What an, what a, this is just so lazy. Yeah. Like it's so lazy. Right. So the, the inspiration comes from the Greek word. It means, uh, to breathe life into. Right. And it's funny, I just, so I just did a big completion exercise with one of my clients. We spent a whole year together. And so I wrote personal cards to everybody on the team and, um, you know, put a quote on the front. And I don't don't remember the exact quote, but basically this guy said, um, you know, if your work becomes boring, it's because you, you're boring. Mm. Like if you're, if your life is uninteresting, it's because you're uninterested and you are in fact uninteresting. So I would say a couple of things, right? Um, I'm very blessed because I have a really interesting life, partly by design, 
and partly because I'm going to be really interested in whatever's going on. Yeah, that's me exactly. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to put it all in there and and right. just and learn and have joy from it. And I do find that some things are boring, right? Mm-hmm. But I remember being, never forget it, I was in the Raleigh airport in North Carolina one summer. And I'm on the up escalator and there's a down escalator. And I have, you know, in the South, everything moves slower. I've never seen escalators. Really? Like the escalator actually moved slower? I think the (laughs) stairs were moving faster than the escalator. Like it was painful, but there was nothing else to do. Right. And so I see this gentleman step on the escalator and he has about an 18 month old kid with him. He's holding him in his arms and they step on the escalator and they're standing there. And just then the kid feels the movement which takes a second because they're barely moving, right? Mm. And then as soon as he feels the movement, the kid throws his hands up in the air and yells, like the world is the most magical place ever, right? And I thought, I'm going to be just like that kid. So one, I would say you want to milk it, right? Mm. Like you actually want to milk it. When good stuff happens, you want to milk that, right? And I, I have just really... Just to be quite frank, I had a, a pretty significant loss a couple of years ago. About wow, good grief! It's been four years now. That's amazing. And um, and that moment, I remember thinking, I, I could just be so mad about this for the rest of my life. Like it was legitimately one of those times in life where something got taken that was so precious that I just thought I just might sink down and not ever get back up. But I thought that would be a real. Um, disservice to the gift that I had been given by having this soul in my life this whole time. So I decided that the lasting legacy of that soul in my life was going to be that I was just going to be super grateful for what I had, no matter how much it was, no matter how much it wasn't, no matter how long it was there. Cause I realized like you could say I got screwed, right? I got ripped off or you could say it was a blessing I had any time at all. They're same thing, right? Good day, bad day. It's all an equal choice. We're just kidding ourselves. So I had it be the gratitude thing. And it's not that nothing bad ever happens to me. People who know me, there's there's a good long list. But there are some people who have a good long list and they live the happiest life in the world. And there are some people who have a good long list and they're super miserable. It's not the list. So for your friend, if she was my friend, I'd sit her down. I'd go, okay, well, how do you want it to go, sis? Like, right. if you want to find something that's fun and exciting, let's go find something that's fun and exciting. You can't, you, excitement ain't coming at you. It starts inside you. It's a choice. It is. And there's it's something choice, about yeah. like, if you're on a, like, be on a mission to be on a mission. Yeah. Get excited about that. Go try three things that you think might be exciting. Right. Go find, th- you know, I, I like reading science books because I'm curious and they're interesting. They're, and every time I get done with one, my head is kind of spinning and, Oh my God, some of the stuff on quantum physics, I got to read like seven times. I'm Wikipedia, I'm wikiing things and trying to like, I didn't, I didn't take science. Like, I mean, you know, I did rocks for jocks when I was in college. I was studying linguistic theory. I don't understand quantum physics, but I can try. And I, I'm going to be alive about that, right? Like the thing we, momentum begets momentum, right? We're all worried about speed. Don't worry about speed. Worry about momentum. Zero to five is the hardest thing in the world. Five to 10 is easier 55 to 60 ain't nothing, right? But that zero to five, that's a thing, right? So recruit some people, get them around you, have them give you a nudge, right? There's ways to do everything. But the problem is lazy is comfortable. Lazy is easy. Just sitting there. That's why we don't tell the truth, right? Circling all the way back to where we started, right? Man, it's just, 
it looks big and scary. It looks like it's easier to just stay put for your friend. She she doesn't know what the cost of moving looks like. So it's just kind of easier to go along and complain and be a little frustrated. She's missing out on, man, look at what I'm actually missing out on. So it's important to take into account like what you're giving up by not being willing to move. Imagine that as good as it could possibly get and ask yourself, am I willing to take just a couple small steps, not big, huge leaps and bounds, but like, would I do one or two small, small, tiny things on a good day? Like what feels light? What feels happy, right? Not what feels heavy. Like I got to plan out the whole thing, go back to college, get my master's. Whoa, slow down turbo. Why don't you walk through a bookstore and see if something on that topic catches your eye? Let's start there. Alicia, I'm. <laughs> I know the awesomeness she's, is just she's bouncing got, she's around. Got, she's got like my my happy. It's, you know, she's brought out my happy face, and I I think, oh, this is so good. This is such good information. <laughs> it's good I, we booked two sessions. I know, I know. We, we and we're going to be doing this a lot more. Aww. And for those of you listening, just stay tuned because there are some exciting things that are going to come down the pipeline with Alicia and I because she is this amazing. <laughs> And I not only are you going to continue to learn from her and who she is and her experience and the words that she gives you, but you also can learn from her energy and how she interacts with other people and the truth, the honesty, the joy, the gratitude, all of the things that we talked about in this episode can greatly improve your life. Oh, you're going to make me cry. I mean, Alicia, you are, you are amazing. And I I can only just say thank you for the positive change that you're bringing to everybody that comes into contact with you, which is why I wanted to do this because I want Mm. everybody to come in contact with you. Thank you. I'm really, I'm really moved. I'm really present. It sounds like such crap, right? Like I used to listen to people who sounded like this, but I'm just, I'm really psyched about all of it. I'm really jazzed, right? Like I met you and you're so full of life and it just bounces back and forth. Right. And mm. you, you want to find these kind of people. And so when you said, Hey, will you do, I was like, I don't know what you're talking. Yes. Like <laughs> it was a yes before you got it all the way out. Cause I know it's going to be great because mm-hmm. you're great. Let's go. What else? What do you want to do? Else? You want to do a garage next? sale? Yeah. What are we doing? Next? Are we baking cookies? Oh, we got we going all kinds to Vegas? of things. <laughs> we got all kinds of things. Well, thank you so much, Alicia. Guys, we are wrapping up. This is part one with Alicia Hawk. And if you are listening on iTunes or Spotify, please give us a rating, um, five stars, of course, or a comment. We would love to hear from you. Or like 15 stars. Or you 15 know, stars. Invent extra stars. Really quickly, what's your website in case somebody doesn't catch episode sure. two? Maverickandcompany.com. And LinkedIn? Uh, Alicia Hawk. A-L-E-C-I-A-H-U-C-K. And we will catch you in the next part. Boom. I know you guys loved that as much as I did. Alicia Huck is amazing. And I want you to go to maverickandcompany.com and go look for the more great stuff tab on her website. And she has additional tools and resources for you to ensure that you can continue this conversation yourself and also how to get in touch with her directly because she can give you some great tools. And listen, we also think it would be interesting if you asked us some questions. So you are welcome to on my social media, which you all know as Taverly or Grit and Grace, and look for Alicia on LinkedIn. And we'll put that in the show notes. Go to her website, contact her. Let's continue this conversation and 
don't forget to contact her if you have questions. Ladies and gentlemen, do not forget to visit our new subscription box site, Grit, Grace, and Glory at gx3box.com. There you can find out how you can sign up to receive monthly inspiration, education, and some special stuff to help celebrate you. And the best part is every box will have a contribution to a nonprofit or a social enterprise because we all know we like to be our best and give back to the community at the same time. So don't miss out, gx3box.com.